Before you listen to this episode of West Virginia and Commonplace, let me explain a little bit about this episode. This is one of the few episodes that stayed in the vault. Over time, um, when making these shows with guests, we try to put them out periodically at a good time that meets the need of the guest and that curates to what we're trying to accomplish. But sometimes the guests ghost. They lose, we lose contact with them. And in this episode, this is what happened in this case. This person, we were um, involved with them, uh, got through this the creation process, obviously, of making the episode. And then when it came to a release date, something didn't match up somewhere either between the guest and myself or both of us. But either way, the communication was dropped. So you're getting this episode because this episode is from the vault. And we're trying to just get out some of these episodes from the vault that are good. And I hope you all enjoy this episode. But once again, I, and I say this to podcasters just in general, whenever you are doing shows with people, um, it's always good to try to get them out in a timely manner. And even I'm guilty of this quite a bit sometimes. I don't get every show out because sometimes they don't make sense in the grand scheme of things. And if that happens, relate that back to the guest. And if the guest doesn't communicate back with you afterwards, then it's up to you to release it or not to release it. I'll leave that in your hands. WV Uncommonplace. This podcast is a variety podcast that houses numerous series to cover mental health, empowerment, podcast framework, and various intimate series to get to know the hosts. Along with occasional movies, reviews, and dives in pop culture with our event podcast episodes. The Uncommonplace digs into bringing guests on that stories don't fit the mold and are very different. WV stands for the great state of West Virginia and every quarter we cover something in West Virginia. Stacy and myself JR are your hosts so please come along for this venture to Uncommonplace. Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, I have Heather Hutchinson with me. Heather has many titles to her name. I will let Heather real fast. Please introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, I'm a singer-songwriter, folk pop singer-songwriter from Vancouver Island, Canada. I'm also an author. My new memoir just came out. It's called Holding On by Letting Go, and it's basically my journey um, as my life as a blind person in Canada and Latin America and my struggles with mental health that ultimately culminated in being hospitalized during the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. Now let me ask you this being blind. How did this factor into your mindset as a child, like to not let blindness hinder you? I think when you're young enough, you don't really realize that you're any different, right? Like you're so involved in yourself, I guess that, there is no no differences and i spent you know so much time with my family my cousins my brother and we would just you know i did whatever they did nobody ever told me i couldn't so until i was probably about five years old i didn't even really realize that people would have considered me different okay and that's understandable and and it's kind of you like you said that rationality that you don't get until you're older now Let's go a little bit um, further in age. Uh, you're, we'll go to the age of 16. What, what did you do at the age of 16? At 16, my first album came out. And could you enlighten them with the, the title of this album and a little bit about it? Yeah, it's called Hello. I actually was involved in a, in a temp- talent competition in, when I was uh, 15, and I met 
in the finals of that competition, I met a producer. He came up to me backstage and said, hey, like, you know, maybe we can record an album together. And I was kind of like, cool, but I didn't actually think it would happen. And then three weeks later, we're in the studio recording this first album. So it was it was pretty crazy how quickly it all came together. And like, you know, from the high school band room to the studio in a matter, matter of a couple of weeks. Okay. Now, how did you do all of this, like this part right here, while being blonde, how did you uh, like learn about this, how to arrange sound and all that type of stuff? I think it's fairly intuitive, you know, we don't really like as as a blind person, I don't have like enhanced other senses, but from a young age, I've learned to use them differently. So, you know, I've learned to use my ears to arrange and I'll be working with producers and stuff and I'll hear something and they'll be like, I have no idea how you even heard that. So yeah, it's, it's pretty, I guess, intuitive for me to work on arranging music. Okay. Now, uh, you perform pop and folk music. What inspired you to take on this genre? I think it was just when I got started, really the kind of music I was listening to and I really, I, I really like ballads. I think that they can really move people. And I really wanted to have that kind of connection with people and share my journey, which I tried to make, you know, a little bit more universal so other people could relate to it. And, you know, to have people come up after a show and be like, hey, I had this happen to me and your song really helped me through that. So just, yeah, I think folk pop is, I mean, not that any genre is not good to connect with people, but I think it, it, it's accessible. It kind of brings people together. It's about like a USB cord. It, it brings everything together, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and, and that, that's amazing there. Now, um, inside of making music, what started you on the path to, to say that, hey, music is where it's at for me? Because most people, you know, they, they dab in poetry or something, some type of literary know-how, you know, manuscript or something starts them on a path to doing this. So what started you um, into music? When I was probably about five or six or even before that, I would always carry around this tape recorder and just like make up all these random songs and everything. And I remember being like six years old and telling my brother to lend me a hundred dollars so I could record an album, <laughs> which obviously for anybody who's recorded an album, it's a little bit more than a hundred dollars. But yeah, it's been something that I've always been just it's always kind of been a part of me. And then as I got older into my early teen years and I started feeling more isolated, songwriting really became my therapy and my way to get my ideas down. And it just became such a passion. And then, you know, through that talent competition and getting to go into the studio and everything, it was just like the first day in the studio, it was like, I finally found my place in the world. <laughs> Now, let me ask you this. You have many titles to your name, an author, singer, songwriter, or your credits, okay? And you have other talents too. How do you handle the pressure of all three of these titles? How do I deal with the pressure? Yeah, how do you handle that pressure? Yeah, well, it's it's hard because especially right now with the book, like the book kind of took up the last year and I do kind of feel like I'm pulled in a lot of different directions and yeah it's tricky because you only have so much I guess creativity in a day and you it's I guess time management trying to split it up and 
you know, I've been super busy, you know, the book came out and then promoting it and stuff. And now I'm actually working more on songwriting as well. So it's kind of wearing a bunch of different hats at the same time and trying to keep it all together. (laughs) Now let's jump into this memoir, Holding On by Letting Go. Please enlighten the audience on this to wrap us around in this story. Cause I know in this story, I know we don't, you know, when you're telling it, you're not going to give it all away, but I want to dab into the mental health aspect inside of here. Cause that's something that we deal with uh, on this show quite a bit. So could you tell us a little bit about this book and then let us know a little bit about Latin America and what you were doing over there? Yeah. So I guess for, for the mental health aspect of it, I was about 12 years old and a family friend, a really close family friend um, took her life and people didn't really talk about it back then. It was kind of, you know, nobody really wanted to talk about how she died. And when it did come up, people would be like, well, I just don't understand how she could do that. So it was kind of like processing that all or trying to at 12 years old. And I started kind of thinking to myself, you know, maybe that's not such a bad idea. So when I was 14 was the first time I actively planned to die, which the fates intervened and obviously it didn't happen. And, you know, it's been on and off really since then. Some some years are great and then it'll be, you know, months of a major depressive episode. So when in november of 2018 i guess it would have been i entered into one depressive episode that just went on and on and on and i got really sick as the time passed and i was actually able to stay out of the hospital that time but and and i was going through a lot of outpatient mental health supports and things like that but then when the pandemic hit all of those supports you know, everybody was suddenly, they weren't even seeing people by video calls. So it was just all audio and they just became harder and harder to access. And I wasn't far enough out of that major depressive episode to be, you know, far left, far enough along in my recovery. So I, you know, spiraled down again and decided that, that this was it, that it was time I was going to take my own life but i decided that i had this one last thing i was going to do i was going to go to the hospital and it wasn't so much that i believed or even wanted to get better it was more for absolution so that when my family found out or loved ones found out that i was gone that they would you know think well she tried so went to the hospital i ended up being admitted as an involuntary patient which wasn't part of the plan and yeah that's kind of how the book all starts okay hospital and then kind of going backwards to see how it all you know came together to get me to that point and that sounds interesting and everybody you can find this book uh, on Amazon. And Heather, if you don't mind, we have a segment that we need a shameless plug. Could you tell everybody real fast where they could uh, interact with you on social media, uh, on your website? Could you tell them a little bit real, real fast? Yeah, for sure. I'm on Facebook at Heather Hutchison Music, uh, Instagram, Heather Hutchison Music, Twitter, HL Hutchison, and my website, which has my book and my music on it, www.heather-hutchison.com, H-U-T-C-H-I-S-O-N. Everyone always adds in an extra N. (laughs) 
Okay. Now you you were um, teaching English English in Latin America. How'd that come about? I've always been super involved in the Latin the Latin American um, community in Canada, and I'm going to make some huge generalizations here, but in general, they have always been more accepting of me of my blindness. You know, Canadians generally tend to have one of two responses. Either they studiously avoid the topic to the point where it's like uncomfortable, or they try to pretend that they're totally cool with it by cracking jokes and everything, which is cool. I like a good blind joke as much as the next person, but they're not very original when you've heard them all, <laughs> you know, a thousand times. But Latinos, they're just, they're phased by a lot less. I would say they ask a lot less questions and they just observe more and they just more intuitively know what I might need. And so I wanted to move to Latin America to be, you know, totally immersed in that inclusion, to be different for a different reason. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Now, let me swing back over to uh, the mental health portion. Um, I did a little research on you. Um, whenever we have guests on, um, you know, we check out your Instagram and something going back into the, to the mental health. Uh, you had a post about self-care not being enough. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you real quick to explain that because you're an advocate for mental health and mental health awareness. And one thing in our society, and it doesn't matter about an age group or a time frame of when you were born or demographic, we all sweep mental health underneath the rug. We make it taboo. We don't allow people to truly express what's really going on with them Yes. In until they're either at the end of their rope or some type of trauma has happened that we have to be involved to help yeah. them get their mental stability back. So could you um, please tell me why self-care is not enough? I think you, you kind of touched on it with the taboo. I think we're getting more comfortable talking about um, self-care and mental health, but I think we're really just kind of, especially on social media, we're really just skimming the surface. So, you know, a social media influencer might say, you know, practice self-care every day, go take a bubble bath or like things like that. And that's great, but we're not really delving into the crux of the issue because when somebody is so sick to the point where they are, you know, close to the end of their rope, they're not having bubble baths. They're not really like, they're not showering. They're not eating. Like they're just so far gone already. So for me, reading those kinds of posts, it was almost a little bit isolating and alienating because I was like, well, why, why can't I get myself together enough to do these things? Okay. Because one thing that I say, though, um, everybody talks about a mental health checkup. And I say, no, 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 no mental health checkup. Do mental health maintenance, like you just said right yeah. there, for the yeah. simple fact that, you know, we get so tied up in, in you know, just oh, I'm going to say that I'll do these certain affirmations or I'll make affirmations for uh, something that I'm really not taking care of. Like I'll say that I'm mentally stable today because I woke up on the right side of the bed. I made a few choices that I believe are sound. I drank a bottle of water. I didn't drink a, a bottle of uh, pop or soda. So, you know, and, and, and I say it's more than that because I worry about what's going to happen um, you know, on day 15, not in an anxiety form, but just I'm like from day one to day 15 in a month, I need to make sure that everything that I'm doing has a has a, a checklist for it, has a way to maintenance 
the actual checkup, you know? So, yeah. so, so I firmly am deeply rooted in uh, definitely keeping your mental health uh, to a certain stability that you can attain. Now, yeah. my question to you is this, um, through everything that's happened to you up until this point, how were you able to gain back your mental stability from all of this trauma? You know, I think the biggest thing for me was to find, to turn pain into purpose and to find a reason, something that could help other people. So writing the book, you know, in, in trying to help other people heal, I'm healing myself. Okay. Okay. No, I, I can run with that one. Now, uh, we talked about the down portion, but let's tie everybody into what a relaxing day is for you. Like what builds up a relaxing day for you? Like you've achieved a lot of things on Monday, for instance. And the reason I ask this is because the thing that's amazing about audio is right now, when you give your answer, you're about to make a gem that people are going to be able to, to use as a reference to help them cope with what they're doing because you're a content creator. So an, an artist or anybody that does anything is going to listen really hard right now to what you have to say. That's why I'm putting a little bit of pressure on it. Um, what is a relaxing day for you? A relaxing day for me, I would love to spend some time in the studio with no time limits. You know, they always <laughs> time is money in the studio, but you know, just, just really seeing what happens with no pressure. And then I would love to go to the beach with my friends and my partner and go stand up paddle boarding. And I find that like really inspirational just to be like <laughs> out on the water and, you know, end of the day kind of thing. And it's just so relaxing, I guess, that it's it's inspiring and it actually helps with creativity to just okay. be out in nature. All right. Now, um, I pay homage to this, this show in America called 2020. When I was growing up, this show 2020 had... Um, a lady named Diane Sawyer, a guy named John Stossel, but it had this lady named Barbara Walters. She was an amazing interviewer. She had a journalistic integrity in the questions that she asked, and they were very tight-knit questions, but they got to a certain theme. So I'm going to put you up on this pedestal real quick, and we'll start off with the Diane Sawyer question, because Diane Sawyer was the lead-in to Barbara Walters. As a kid, at 10.40 p.m. on Friday night, before Bobble Walters came on, Diane Sawyer would ask him hard-hitting questions, but just some things that, that gave more character and opened you up more to the audience so people can become more personable with you. So yeah. are you ready, Heather? I think so. <laughs> okay. Now, if there was a billboard where you live to advertise Heather Hutchinson, and it doesn't matter how many words are on this advertisement, but what would the advertisement say? Oh gosh, that's a hard question. Uh, like to advertise. Just books? you, a, gen a broad generalization. Hmm. That is a really hard question. That's why I said I pay homage to this show because <laughs> these are the questions that this is where that journalistic integrity comes in. And, you know, we tie things together. And while I'm spilling with a bunch of filler now, it'll give you a little bit of time to have an idea. Now, I'll say this. My billboard today would read halfway complete. And the reason mine would say halfway complete is because I feel like I'll never truly fully be complete because then I won't have anything else to do. But I'm halfway there. 
So I'm halfway complete and I'm content in certain areas in my life. And there's certain things that I know I will always have to improve on and, and work hard to, to uh, attain and, or have, but I'm halfway complete. So that's how my billboard would read. It wouldn't have anything else on it, but have that. And I'd have it screaming out loud so everybody could hear half complete, half complete from uh, Vermont all the way to California. <laughs> I like that. Kind of along, I guess, the same lines. I don't mean to like completely steal it, but it was actually like an <laughs> idea that I was just, I was songwriting with a friend uh, earlier today and, and you kind of tied it in perfectly. One of the things that we were working through was better than I used to be. Okay. Better than I used to be. I like that. Now, capitalizing on this, better than I used to be. That's going to be the, the billboard out there. Now, we're going to go more in depth into the next advertisement that you're going to uh, portray for us. Um, you're doing a public service announcement. And the public service announcement usually has maybe 82 to 122 uh, advertising targets when you do a PSA. If you could give a PSA on mental health, and I don't care how long it is, what would your PSA statement be in a commercial? Because remember, this commercial would be in print. It will be in video. It will be in all kinds of formats. What would your PSA be about mental health in general? I think I would say that I'm not going to say things will get better. Cheer up. Tomorrow's another day. I'm not going to say empty platitudes, but I promise that one day you will feel so much joy in a moment and you'll think to yourself, I would have missed this and you'll be glad that you hung on. So hang on for that moment. All right. I like that. Now, uh, everyone is familiar with TED Talks. TED Talks are these things that are revolutionary that, uh, bond different groups of people and take certain type of professionals and take some people that are paraprofessionals or any type of professional and put them all together. You were presenting your TED Talk. Your TED Talk would be to future aspiring artists on how to overcome obstacles. What would you tell someone that's looking, well, not looking, but someone that's listening to you, what would you tell them about how to overcome obstacles? break them down it can seem so insurmountable like if we're talking about art specifically you know you're thinking oh i have to i have to make an album okay but let's break that down you need your song so you let's you know get a chord progression and you need some words you know just baby steps and you'll get there because it's just if I think to myself, I, I need to write an album, it's like so overwhelming that I don't even want to start. So if you can break things down and start, then you're actually going to be a lot more productive than if you just tried to, you know, do the whole thing together as this one big giant project. Okay. Now, we've dealt with all the advertising and the marketing for you. How, and this is the question that that sparked on everybody's mind. And this will be something that we're going to be asking for the next 10 years. How did COVID-19 impact your music and your creative processes? It was hard for me. I saw a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues would have these online concerts and things like that. And they'd be writing new material. For me, 
there was so much uncertainty that I just, I couldn't, I was so focused on just making it through the next hour, the next day that writing and actually sharing my music with people just really took a backseat. So it was, it was very difficult. I think some people got way more creative and then there's kind of the other half of us who really struggled creatively because just with the mental health struggles, I guess, that were exacerbated by the pandemic. And I agree with that because it was hard on both ends for everybody being uh, cooped up and just a lot of uncertainties and especially um, being where you are in Canada because there's still uncertainties, correct? Yeah, yeah. I don't know how things are in your state, but here, like, we're just kind of starting to open up. We were way behind you guys, I think. Yeah, and, and I tell you, uh, me and my co-host, we were up at Niagara Falls and we were trying to cross over into Canada at the time. Uh, this was about, I'd say, like three months ago. And it was kind of crazy, you know, because normally, you know, obviously with your passes and different things or passport and things that you have, you can go back and forth. But it was really different, you know, not to be able to go over there. So I know what the impact's like because it's kind of like, we all didn't shut ourselves off from the world because we had internet, but it was like the actual human interaction and things like that, you know, not in the physical sense, but just the aura of having someone around because a computer screen or audio to a certain degree, you can feel a warmth. You can feel something from people when you're near them. And I think that that's what got taken away from people. And a lot of people didn't realize that they were very sociable people, even though they may have thought they were antisociable. Totally. And I think artists too, a lot of us started collaborating with people, you know, everywhere, which is super cool. But I don't think now that I'm actually getting back to recording with like actual people, it's like, oh, yeah, like this is what recording is all about that, you know, those tiny interactions that you just don't have when you're sending files back and forth. True. So true. Now, here comes the Barbara Walters question. All right. After all this buildup, um, we've dealt with the advocacy for mental health, the songwriting, uh, and eventually you're going to get back to performing. Um, and you have this book that you're promoting right now. This book that you wrote is a form of self-care and self-help at the same time. But what is the third message inside this book that you were trying to get out to the world? I think for people who haven't been there and haven't felt that darkness, it's really hard to understand. So my third kind of message was trying to humanize mental health and mental health struggles and what that's actually like. So hopefully people can, you know, have a better understanding of what it is and hopefully react with a little bit more compassion. And I hope that rings true from your book. Um, so another part of the series that we do, um, I do a quick little testimony because I research you, I find out information about you. Um, you, you do a lot of digging and, and always tell the audience, we usually only meet for the first, first five minutes before we even go on air for one of these shows. So here's your, your testimonial real quick, Heather, it's very amazing that you took something that some people would call a disability and you made it into an ability with your blindness. You didn't conform to what society would have put you in a bubble as. That's one thing that's really strong there. Um, through yourself uh, showing the world about mental health uh, issues, the things that you struggled with, showing your downfall makes you more 
humanized and not an android because we don't like androids um <laughs> it, it made you more human and it's so hard to get that human element out there it's so hard to have a level of intimacy with strangers that you don't know mm-hmm. or just in general um to do that on the platforms that you do via your book through your music through whatever you're doing social media wise or whatever that causes you to be more than an influencer that that causes you to be an inspiration and that's something that's lost in the world so many people want to influence influence but why don't you inspire someone that's aspiring to be something mm-hmm. and that's yeah. something you're doing today okay thank you so much so i want you to take that with you keep doing what you're doing and never worry about having to magnify it or quantify it or do anything else to it because what you're doing is perfect right now in this world thank you so much really you're welcome and I just needed you to hear that because in life, we don't need to hear that affirmation from someone, you know, that knows us, but from a complete stranger to see what you've been doing mm-hmm. and to, 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 to just, just have a moment to hear your voice and hear what you have to say. You can tell that you care about the world. You care about more than just yourself. Your selflessness will be rewarded at some point in life. I want you definitely to know that. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, before we end this show, I need you to do one more shameless plug. Can you please tell everyone where they can find you at? And uh, I'll have one other thing after that. (laughs) Okay. So my website, again, www.heather-hutchison.com. Instagram, uh, Heather Hutchison Music. Facebook, Heather Hutchison Music. Twitter, HL Hutchison. And the book, or yeah, the book you can find on Amazon, Audible, pretty much anywhere you buy books and the music is on Spotify, Apple Music, all of those. Awesome. So the last thing, could you please give a shout out to whoever in your life has helped you along the way? Because we all have someone that helped me, helped you along the way. Like in, for me, for instance, um, my co-host Stacy, she's also my girlfriend. She motivates me to um, look for certain guests and to to just go out there and be very open and try to be very, uh, I guess, as friendly as I can be to make an interview amazing, to make make you feel like, you know, you're one of my neighbors or one of my cousins or one of my friends that goes to Applebee's with us on Tuesday. And uh, that's what I strive to do. And I want to thank her, you know, for being a part of, you know, the show and different things and the different aspects she is. So Heather, please tell me who or whom has helped you along the way and you want to give a shout out to. That's tough. There's so many people, but I think a big one for me would be my my first producer, Brock, because through him, I really found music and I found my place in the world. And I don't think I would have survived without music. And I don't think I would have been able to write the book without without being a songwriter, without having that artistic um, freedom, I guess. So I think it it all really kind of started back with music, everything I have done. Hey, and once again, I want to thank you for being on West Virginia and Commonplace. Uh, Mm -hmm. The great thing about this interview today is that, you know, I learned a lot about you really fast. And it's just amazing that you that you can do all this stuff and you didn't let anything hinder you. Yeah, I I tried (laughs) some days, you know, better than others, but. Okay. Well, this is West Virginia signing off. And I want to tell you once again, Heather Hutchinson, thank you for being on the show. Thank you.
Please follow WV Uncommonplace on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok where we have some great content, Facebook, LinkedIn, hit up the merch store at oncommonplace.square.site. Join the email list from the website, and rate, subscribe, and give feedback from your favorite podcatcher. And lastly thanks for listening and tune into the next episode.